0: of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're glad that you could join us this morning on such a joyous occasion, and please, whatever you do, do not think of me higher than I am. If it snows, it's up to God, it ain't up to me, and, uh, but um, we're looking forward to this evening, candlelight service, and children's story, and special music, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you uh, come and join us at 6 o'clock, we are looking forward to just sharing with each other the joys that there is in welcoming the birth of our wonderful Savior. As festive as this day is, in anticipation of the festivities of tomorrow, we're faced with the reality of life. I received this morning some tragic news that uh, Casey Kiefer's uh, brother-in-law was killed last night in a car accident. So Casey's sister is faced this day and tomorrow without her husband. Casey and Justin's little boy, Jackson, was taken this morning to urgent care for fear that he has bronchitis or the croup. And then we were told of Abby Kettner's sister, Jessica, who is in emergency room in hospitals in California because her white blood cell count is at one. Those of you that are familiar with the medical field, when it's at three, it's dangerous. But at one, it could be tragic. So here we are this morning, faced with reality of life. Before we continue, let's go together in prayer. And ask the Lord that he would intervene in these areas that we have no idea of what to do. Heavenly Father, we are reminded, even in the midst of celebration, the anticipation of a glorious day, yet we are reminded of life. Circumstances around us remind us that this is still a life that has been shrouded by the effects of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. When sin entered the world, so did tragedy, so did sickness, so did war and famine and earthquakes And we are awakened this morning to tragedies that have affected our own people here at Grace Community Church. We lift up to you, Lord, and we have no no idea of how else to lift up to you, but then just to ask if you would intervene in Casey Kiefer's sister's life the tragic accidents that claimed her husband. We can't begin to understand what she feels like. We can't even imagine the horrific news that was brought to her and how we would even react in that situation. But I'm glad that you're there, Lord. I'm glad that you are the one who can bring comfort. You're the one who can bring some kind of reason into something that just seems to be unreasonable. And I pray, oh God, that you and the dynamics that only you can do would minister to this young lady's life. I pray for Jackson that you would give the doctors the wisdom that they need in order to counteract either the bronchitis or the croup that they think that he has. We thank you that you will watch over him and, and his family and bring about a healing in your time that honors your name. And we lift up Jessica also, Lord. We have no idea. We we don't have the medicine in our possession to be able to counteract what she is going through right now. But with you, Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And I pray right now that you your hand, your hand of blessing, your hand of healing would be upon her. And that the tremendously low white blood count would begin to rise. Maybe her parents will get a phone call this after church today and saying right about nine thirty was when the white blood cell count started to go up. That's how, God, that's how you can work. And we pray that you would. We pray that you would bring about to her and to her husband and son, bring to them the reality that you are there. And that it is upon you that they can call and that you will do dynamic things, Lord, that would bring honor and glory to yourself. There are others in our congregation, too, who are ill and could not be here with us this morning. We ask, Lord, for your healing hand upon them. Thank you that they are praying for us as we're praying for them. As we continue... Our study this morning, Lord, the matriarch in the line of the Messiah, probably the one that's the most familiar to all of us. Oh Lord, I pray that that which we lack in understanding, you will give, and that which we have failed to see, that you will provide. And at the depths of our soul, the very being of who we are would be touched by your hand through your word. And these things we ask and praise you in the magnificent name of Christ our Savior. Amen. One morning a mother was hurriedly preparing a special meal for the family. Her daughter was there watching what was going on, and she noticed something strange. The mother took out a knife and began to cut off part of the roast and lay it aside. The daughter, not seeing that before, inquisitively asked, why, mom, do you do that, and her mom's response was, well, that's because that's what my mother always did. Well, as, as children do, they don't let it lie. Well, why did she do that? It was because her mother always did that. Come to find out as they investigated this particular situation... They finally got back to the grandmother and said, Grandma, why? Mommy, the other day, she cut off a piece of meat off a roast and set it aside. Why? And she said, you do that too. Why do you do that? And the mother said, well, the reason I do it because I didn't have a big enough pan to put it in. <laughs> Traditions and the way we do things and the way we perceive things can cloud issues of life. When we come to this particular matriarch in the line of the Messiah, the one that's the most familiar to you, I say her name and automatically you'll say, okay, I can shut down now because I know everything there is to know about Mary. Well, I, I trust you won't do that. Because there are some traditional things that have been said and applied to Mary that, quite frankly, the the scriptures do not speak of. So it would do us well this morning if you would take your Bibles again and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. (laughs) I know that we have read the the lineage, if you will, the, the kingly lineage that is recorded here in the book of Matthew. I'm not going to entertain you by reading all of these fantastic names in here, but I do want to pick it up at verse 16. It says, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. Mary. She is listed as the last matriarch in this particular lineage. We have one more to look at, Lord willing, next week. But Mary is is interesting in the fact that if you have your study notes there we're we're running on three legs this morning the powerpoint presentation to give you all the answers is not there so you're going to have to listen really well cuz I'm going to move When you look at the background of Mary, the first thing that comes to mind is this. Mary was Jewish. She's not Roman Catholic. In fact, at that period of time, there were no such things as Roman Catholics. There was a Jewish nation who worshipped the true and living God, and there were pagans who worshipped idols. Mary is, in fact, her name really is an English translation of her Hebrew name, which is Miriam. Her real name is Miriam, but we refer to her as Mary. The second thing about her background is this, that according to Luke chapter 3, and in verse 31, Mary was a direct descendant of King David. Bathsheba not only gave birth to Solomon, but she also gave birth to another son by the name of Nathan. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 31, Mary's lineage comes through Nathan, who, by the way, was also part of the tribe of Judah, from which we are told, according to Old Testament writings, that the king would come from Judah. So Mary also was from the kingly line, though not recognized as Important, if you will, and forgive me, ladies, the lineage of women were not looked at as important as the lineage of men, but I'm glad that Luke's gospel included that. That Mary also is in the line of the king. And the third thing is that Mary was a virgin and betrothed or engaged to Joseph to be married according to some tradition they say that Mary was either between the ages of of 12 and 14 and Joseph was a widower who had other children and so he took Mary as his wife in those young years that's not in the word of God The word virgin does mean not having children before, but in the Greek and Hebrew context, it talks of a young woman, most likely around 16 years of age. And at the same time, Joseph would have been the same age. They were contractually, if you will, by their parents, designed to be married. So Mary was a virgin. But I find it very interesting that during the time of Mary's life and the carrying of our Savior, there are a number of Old Testament biblical prophecies that she was a part of. Oh, when they were first penned by either Isaiah or Micah, her name didn't appear there, but as prophecy is, sometimes prophecy has an immediate meaning with a long-standing fulfillment. And so there are a number of things. In fact, there are three there that I want to draw your attention to. In Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, it says, a virgin shall conceive. A virgin shall conceive. And letter B, the next one, Isaiah 7, 14, and it says, and will bear a son. Now, if you go to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, his name is also given. His name will be Emmanuel meaning God with us. That particular phrase is also used in the Gospel of Matthew when the angel is speaking to Joseph. Because the angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. For not only will he be the Savior of the world, but his name will also be known as Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. And let her see Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It declares that the child would be born in Bethlehem. Out of you, Bethlehem, Euphrates, the smallest of all the towns, out of you shall come the king. Now I don't know if that affects you as much as it did me this this week. I mean we can look back at events of our lives and all of a sudden today we say, Oh, that's why that happened back there. But if someone came to you at that point and said, Five years from now this is gonna happen, ah, uh, you're just kidding. That's not going to happen to me. When we get later on in our study this morning, we're going to find out Mary's reaction to the angel. And the dynamic of that is this, dear people, as her closing phrase was, be it unto me as you have said. She literally took hold by faith of what the angel Gabriel was sharing with her concerning what was about to happen to her. I kind of wonder if she was a woman of the scriptures. I, I, I wonder if she remembered Isaiah seven fourteen. I wonder if she thought, I'm the fulfillment of that passage. We'll get to that in a few moments. Her testimony, or her, if you will, knowledge is, first of all, when an angel shows up, people get scared. The scripture says when the angel showed up, she was troubled. She was troubled. It, it literally means alarmed. <laughs> That's a fancy word for meaning pretty nervous because you have to remember that during the time of the Jewish tradition when angels showed up trouble was coming think back the first angel that showed up was the death angel and throughout history that is recorded for us in the not so New Testament Angels brought about condemnation from God. Here's a period of 400 years of silence. There are no prophets. There are no visions. There are no new prophecies to be fulfilled. For 400 years, the nation of Israel did not hear from God. And the first to show up is an angel. Oh, man, we're in trouble. She was troubled. But not only was she troubled, but the angel said, you are highly favored. Highly favored. I don't know if I can fully understand what that means. Was it such a way of what Mary and the way that she handled herself the way that she determined that no matter what, I am going to, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Was she so impacted by her parents that she recognized the fact of living wholly unto the Lord God. Even though he's been silent for 400 years, I'm going to determine to follow after him. But when the angel shows up and says, Mary, you are highly favored among women. What was she doing to gain that kind of recognition from the halls of heaven? Oh, we can say it was the sovereignty of God. Well, you go ahead and try to explain all of that to a third grader. But all I know is this, is that for some reason God knew that Mary was the very right one to do what he had planned. You know what that's like to us today, dear people? Is that God will never ask you to do something that he already hasn't equipped you to perform. He may call you to reach someone whom no one else could reach. That's because you're highly favored. He may send you on a journey of illness that you have someone to speak to who will be ministering to you that no one else can speak to. You are highly favored. God had a plan for Mary's life. And the fulfillment of that, God knew that she was highly favored because she was the one. She was the one. Turn with me to Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 31. Luke, as a physician, is very detailed. He writes extensively. His chapters are not short. He includes details that need to be highlighted. That's what doctors do. They, they don't leave any stone unturned. They'll, they'll find out what's wrong. In Luke chapter 1, verse... 31 let's read to verse 38 Now in the 6th month of the uh, now in the 6th month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David the virgin's name was Mary you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? is impossible. If you have not circled that verse before, now would be a good time. For with God, nothing is impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the main servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Her testimony rings true in verse 38 when it says, Let it be. To me, your maid servant, that which you have said will happen. Her testimony is tremendous. But then, in some of my previous instruction in college and seminary, I come to something that thrills me even more her song. Her song is known as the Magnificent. And the title of the song comes from the very first verse of 46, the very first phrase, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. It's a Latin word, Magnificent, which means magnify. Magnify. In the study of this particular song, you you come to realize that it's just not phrases that she's putting together. This song is full and it overflows and oozes, if you will, of theological significance. Because in it, she describes not only who she is, but she describes who God is. In all of her dynamics. It is the only song. That Mary writes. There's not another one recorded. There will never be another one recorded. As Mary finally finished. Singing. Quite frankly. Singing the song. The crescendo of heaven took over as it's recorded, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Let me give you some of the highlights of this particular Magnificent. The song begins with her unconditional love for God. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Unconditional love for God. I wonder if we would be so bold to say the same thing. When you peruse through these phrases, you must stop and take personal inventory. Does our love for our Savior our king, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, does it only depend upon good times? Or will we love him unconditionally? Which, by the way, he he loves you unconditionally. Yesterday, I made mention of the writings of Peter In 1 Peter chapter 1, when he makes the statement that we have not been redeemed by gold or silver or precious stones. We've not been redeemed by the traditions of man. But our redemption has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. That two verses in verse uh, 9 and 10 um, I'm sorry, forgive me, not 9 and 10 14 and 15 reflect upon his earlier statement that because of all that God has done for us he begins in verse 13 by saying therefore when we stop to look at Our love that we have for God, is it based upon the fact that God is doing for us what we want him to do? Or is it based upon the fact that I love him because of all that he has done for me? Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She knew what was coming. She most very well knew of the chastisement of the town people. She knew the weight that she was about to bear. And yet she still says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The second part of that is still in verse 47 for there that she recognizes her need for the savior. My spirit rejoices in my savior. No. Mary has not, according to scriptures, to be viewed as code redemptix. The Word of God says that Jesus was the only one who paid for our sin. Mary is not perfect. I know that in many of us, we, we have heard the song, that, or at least the phrase before, referring to the fact that the Immaculate Conception... That is not in reference to Jesus. That is in reference to Mary. No, Mary was not born sinless. For she recognized the fact that she needed a savior. The third one is this, is that Mary praises God for his care. In verse 48, for he has regarded the lowliest lowliest state of his maidservant. For before... For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She praises God for his care. In verse 49, 50, and through the end of this particular musical poem that Mary has written, she extols God for his might. In verse 49, for his mercy. In verse 50 for his strength in verse 51, for his judgment of the proud in verse 51 and 52, and she closes with salvation for Israel, verse 54 to 55. So what have we learned concerning this matriarch in the line of the Messiah? Wow. What a person that God has chosen. But her life is a witness to our lives. First of all, God will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't already equipped you to do. That our love for our Savior should not be based upon whether things are going well in my life. Should be based upon the fact of all that he has done for me. For without him, tomorrow would have no meaning. And lastly, she teaches us that we too can trust God. As she says, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know how this is going to happen, but it'll be okay. You know, this morning, as we began the service with some earth-shattering news, I don't know how those things are going to work out. But I do know in God's economy, it's going to be okay. Because God, remember, nothing is impossible with God. The closing phrase that I wrote down there from, for, for you from an author, I guess puts it all together when it says, Mary's profound faith in God and his faithfulness, along with her knowledge of scriptures, makes it easy to see why God chose her. May we come to a, a better understanding, a clarity of not only the magnificence of our God, but the method by which he brought us salvation. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this morning. The witness of your word to us, of this individual named Mary, causes us to stop. It arrests us to reflect upon a fact of life, and that in every aspect of it, we can trust you. May you, Father minister to the needs of everyone here this morning with the anticipation of gathering this evening for a time of celebration. May our hearts already be lifted in praise to you for your provision for eternal life for us. And for that we will always be thankful. And we will praise you in the master's name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.